0: Well, good morning. Thanks for joining us. If you're joining us online, also thanks for being with us. Oh, it was maybe four years ago. Uh, our whole family went up to Wayne. We were on uh, kind of a preview trip of Wayne State College, and in fact, our older son would go there and graduate from there. And we're we're coming back, and we stop in. I don't know the name of the town, Wisner or Beamer or one of these places, and we get a snack. We all do, and we get back in the car. And I turn the key, and it goes click. What do I have? I have a dead battery. And I am at a, we are at a point of overwhelming weakness. We don't have the charge to start our car, and we're a long way away from Lincoln. It's a long push to get back to Lincoln, Nebraska. So I go in, and I ask the clerk, hey, this is what happened Would you be willing? And yes, she would. We have jumper cables. We hook up her battery to our battery. She turns on her car, and voila, our car starts. What did we count on to get our car started? Well, the power from her battery, right? That's what the cables did. But in a point of overwhelming weakness, we had to look beyond ourselves. I'm going to suggest to you as followers of Jesus, we, we get there. We get to points of overwhelming weakness, and the question is, what do we do? Where do we turn in our overwhelming weakness? Well, if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to 1 Samuel 17, we're going to go all the way through this passage, wrestling with the question, where do we turn in overwhelming weakness? Where do we turn in overwhelming weakness? Let me get you up to speed. Uh, this series is entitled Reliant. is really pushing the idea we need to rely on God and not on self or anything else. Uh, Israel is transforming. They're going from a loose federation of states to a monarchy. And one of the things they're dealing with is this kind of ubiquitous, ever-present enemy, the Philistines. And they come up with the idea we need a king to be secure in our promised land. And God had promised them this promised land. that He might bless him and show his reputation through his blessing. But Israel hasn't fo- hadn't followed him. And they thought, you know, we just, to be secure, we need to be like everybody else. We need a king. And God said, yeah, I don't know. That's a great idea. That king's going to take and take and take from you. And I don't care. We want a king. And sometimes God will answer our prayer just to show us what we really need is him. And I, I think that's what happens here. The first king is a guy named Saul. He doesn't do real well. When Saul is anointed, the the wording is very clear. You are to, you're a prince. You will operate under my authority. Saul missed that in a couple different cases. He goes out on his own. And the prophet Samuel says, You're done. We're moving on. And in 1 Samuel 16, last week, um, David was anointed as the new king. So we got a messy situation. We have a sitting king, Saul. And we have a king in waiting, David. How will that play out? Well, you stick with us in the next 13 chapters. It's a 10 to 13 year period. We'll see how it plays out. But it's messy. And it's awkward. And the mess and the awkwardness is going to start today. Uh, Israel is threatened by the Philistines. Battle is imminent. Uh, that's what the first three chapters, uh, uh, first three verses of 1 Samuel say. Verses uh, 4 through 6 Um The Philistines run out a champion, a big guy. His name's Goliath. And one of the commentators said he's a combination of Hulk and James Bond. He's huge, and he's got state-of-the-art weapons. So Goliath stands out in front, and here's what he says in verse 8. It says, He stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel and said to them, Why do you come out to draw up in battle array? Am I not the Philistine and you servants of Saul... Choose a man for yourselves and let us come down, let him come down to me. If he is able to fight with me and kill me, then we will become your servants. But if I prevail against him and kill him, then you shall become our servants and serve us. What in the world is going on? In the ancient Near East, this was custom. We're going to war. You choose a champion, we'll choose a champion. The loser serves the winner. That's how we roll. That's what's going on here. And so Saul is calling out, send out someone to fight me. One more taunt, verse 9. Again, the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel this day. Give me a man that we may fight together. Now, Israel had been looking for a king. Why? For security. They could follow this king, someone who will give them power and authority. If ever there's a time for a king to step up, this is it. This is why you wanted a king. For a situation like this, I need one man. And remember, Saul was taller, a head taller than everybody. He was a warrior. Verse 11, how Saul responded to this. When Saul... And all Israel, and I think the narrator discriminates between these two, heard these words of the Philistines. They were dismayed and greatly afraid. Saul's supposed to be your champion. Saul's supposed to be believing God. And he is what? He is greatly afraid and dismayed. Israel. How's your king looking? Has he he come through pretty good for you here? What was their mistake? Putting their trust, ultimate trust in a human being. God gave them their king, I think, to show them, ultimately, who you need is me. Well, Andy, that's all well and good. That was then. What does it have to do with now? Well, People were three weeks out, three, count them, three weeks out from elections. And don't you know, if this candidate gets in, or if this party controls the House or the Senate or whatever they do, don't you know the country's going to be just fine? And, and man, you are, you are just nervous, and you are just, because you just got to have, and, and, and I'm telling you, be careful about putting your ultimate trust in a politician, What, you talking Republicans or Democrats, Andy? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Lest lest we pick on politicians, be careful about putting your trust in a pastor, okay? Because they're flawed people. And while we're at it, ultimate trust in a spouse or a friend or, careful. Ultimate trust in Jesus. Can I have a spouse that I love and I serve? A friend? Yeah, yeah, roommate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's all good. Just don't put your ultimate trust there. So, Saul has been introduced to the narrative. Now David's going to be introduced in verses 12 through 16. I'm not going to read it, but he is going back and forth. He is tending his father's sheep, and he is running food to the front lines because his brothers are serving up there. Let me pick it up in verses 17 and 18. It says, Then Jesse said to David, His son, take now for your brothers an ephah of this roasted grain and these ten loaves and run to the camp to your brothers. Bring also ten cuts of cheese to the commander of their thousand and look into the welfare of your brothers and bring back news of them. Okay? Anybody who's ever worked for like Uber Eats or DoorDash, this is your biblical basis right here. Started with David. Running food to the front. What's he find when he gets to the front? Verse 19. For Saul and they and all of the men of Israel are in the valley of Elah fighting with the Philistines. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with the keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going in battle array shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. And he was talking with them. Behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath was coming up from the army of the Philistines. And he spoke these same words. And David heard. The translators add them. It just says, David heard. What did he hear? The name of God being taunted. The name of God being mocked. We'll get David's response in a moment, but in verse 24 and 25, we get more of Saul's response. When all the men of Israel saw the man, they fled from, his, from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free, probably tax free, in Israel. What's the king supposed to be doing? Out there standing for the people. What's he doing instead? Trying to bribe somebody. Hey, if you'll go, I'll make you really wealthy. That's if you live. You can marry my daughter and hey, your your family's tax-free for the rest of the whatever in Israel. Again, Israel, you wanted a king. How's, how's that working out for you? You really put your stock in this king. How's that going for you? Well, David reacts in verse 26. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine? And takes away, this is what's motivating David, takes away the reproach from Israel. For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? Who is this guy to stand up there and mock God? Saul's what? Saul's afraid. David's tick. The reputation of God is on the line. When we talk about being Christ in our community, it's grounded in this. We want to represent Christ well. Our hope is that through this body, His name, His reputation is moved forward. That's primary. What we do. Well, verse 27. David's, uh, I'm sorry, verse 28. David's brother um, questions David's motives. Sometimes, sometimes, when you stand for God, people that are close to you will question, why, why are you doing that? When I decided to go on staff with Campus Crusade, the guy who got me involved, he was the first one to invite me, said, I don't think you should be doing this. You've got a chemical engineering MBA, we need, we need Christian businessmen. Now, I will say he came around, he was my biggest supporter, he opened his home to me, I stayed with him, so, but that was hard. I felt like I was answering God's call. And, and a guy very close to me said, yeah, I don't know. It's a good idea. Verse 29 and 30, David just turns away. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not going to entertain you and your, your questions about my motive. I, I know what God's doing in my life. Well, Saul hears about David, verse 31. When the words which David spoke were heard, they told them to Saul, and he sent for him. David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail on account of him. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, you're not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him. For you're about a youth. Well, he's been a warrior from his youth. Yeah, we just celebrated a middle school retreat. And you know, we talk about these students who are coming to faith and knowing God. And we think, boy, down the road. And that's true. I hope all this plays out well down the road. But you know, God works through youth in their youth. Do you remember who the prophet is that's the voice of God? Israel, his name was Samuel. And God started with him as a lad, as a young man, and into adulthood. He was the voice of God. Here we've got a youth standing in the gap. We have no idea who God might use to move his name and his reputation forward. So Saul says, I I, I don't think you can do this. I, I think this is a bit much for you. Here's David's response in verses 34 to 37. But David said to Saul, your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. You know when David prepared for this? When he's all by himself. No one's watching. He's he's doing shepherd's work. Remember on the socioeconomic ladder, that's low. That's low and And you know a bear and a lion comes in really what's in a, in a, a flock of sheep, what, what's, what's one one sheep? But now David said, "I was called to protect the lives of these sheep. so he he took on the bear and he took on the lion. He trusted God in those things, and that made him ready when it was public. And Goliath was out in front, taunting the armies. Way back when I was a college student, I heard a speaker say, let me give you a working definition of integrity. What do you like when no one sees? What, you, what are you doing when, when no one's around? Yeah, I mean we all put on a good show public. I, I get that. But but when no one's around, what are you doing? See, David was was faithful to the task to which God had called him. And so when no one else would step up against Goliath, David said, I will. Well, why would you do that? Because I've seen God deliver me from the lion and the bear. Uh, Verses 38 through 40, Saul says, David, why don't you try my armor? And David said, yeah, I don't think that's going to work. And he takes a sling and, and five stones. So verse 41, we get to the battle. Then the Philistine came on and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth. And Ruddy, with a handsome appearance, the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come to me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me, and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Then, verse 45, David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. I mean, he is ticked for the reputation of God. The God of the armies of Israel, whom you have taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I will strike you down and remove your head from you. And I will give you the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky, to the wild beasts of the earth, and to all the earth that they may know there is a God in Israel. And that all the assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or by spear for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands. David is driven by the reputation of God. Nothing matters to him like God's name and reputation. And he's just sure God's going to deliver. Well, what happens? Then it came about, happened, when the Philistine rose and came and drew near to meet David, that David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet the Philistine. And David put his hand into his bag and took from it a stone and slung it, and struck the Philistine in the forehead, and the stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. That's a position of submission, face first to the representative of the nation of Israel. Thus David prevailed over the Philistine with a sling and a stone, and he struck the Philistine and killed them. But there was no sword in David's hand. The rest of the chapter tells us David pulled out the sword and cut off the Philistine's head. Um, Israel pursues the Philistines in verses 51 to 54, and then Saul asks questions about the origin of David's family in verses 55 to 58. Israel was in a point of great weakness. There was a champion out there that was intimidating everybody and even the king. Well, what do we do? Well, God raised up a champion. His name was David. From the shepherd fields to taking on Goliath. Where do we turn in moments of overwhelming, overwhelming weakness? We turn to God to provide a champion. We turn to God to provide a champion. We say, well, Andy, this this thing with David, that's kind of unique. That's really not. Does God really roll that way? Let's look at Psalm 8, verse 2. Here's what the psalmist says. From the mouth of infants and nursing babes, you have established strength. You've shown your strength in, in, in the weak because of your adversaries to make the enemy and the revengeful cease. This deal with David, that's not an aberration. That's not a character with God. He chose, chooses the weak to show himself strong. And when we get in a moment, we need to look to Jesus to provide us a champion. This came home to me. I was a graduate student. I was the second year of my MBA and in God had been doing some things and put it on my heart uh, that was to pursue a ministry with Campus Crusade, a campus ministry. But I had $6,800 worth of school debt and the Campus Crusade limit was 5000 So we came back at the semester in January. I had the spring semester and then I would go to school that summer and I would graduate unless somehow God worked out that I could get $1,800 to bring that down. And so um, my campus director and I, uh, had me write, I think it was three, maybe four letters to Christian businessmen that were well-to-do. And within a month, I got a response. No. 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 Man, they could do $1,800 like that. He said, Andy, I just think you're going to need to go to work, pay down your debt, and then, you know, when you get your debt paid, pursue Campus Crusade stuff. I mean, I started to cry. But okay. So I did. I started interviewing. I got two offices set up after spring break. We go on a spring break trip, Campus Crusade. We go going to South Padre Island. And while I'm down there, a guy who's an acquaintance says to me, Andy, when we get back on Saturday, are you staying in town? Yeah, you can, I used to jog. jog by my, you can jog by my place. Stop by Sunday night. Okay. And again, he's an acquaintance. We've been in part of this central action group, which is part of the leadership, but I don't know him well. So I'm out there jogging in the South Texas heat, I mean, just sweating, and I, I stopped by his place, and he says to me, Andy, I got a friend who's got 1,800 bucks for you. Well, it ain't a friend, it's you. He was an electrical engineering student, he had co-opted, and he had saved money. And he too was going on staff with Campus Crusade that summer. So he was gonna be on a limited salary. I mean, at that time, Hewlett Packer and IBM were snapping up double E's, but he's going to forego that and he's going to provide $1,800 for me. So I go to training that summer, I get back in the fall, and um, I call him up and, hey, Mike, you know, the $1,800. He said, yeah, I'll get to it. And, and um, then I graduate and I go to Christmas conference, and Campus Crusade raises their debt policy to 10000 so I think I'm good. God has been, he's just been a willing champion. He won't have to put the money forward, but that was really courageous of that guy. I think I'm done with him. I'm wrong. I'm not done with him. Eight years later, he goes on staff in California. I lose track of him. I don't, I don't we don't swap prayer letters, nothing. 1993, eight years later, we're out at Campus Crusades National Meetings. I have just found out that fall that I'm going to be in Siberia. I knew I was going to the former Soviet Union, so it's going to be really fairly cold there. Um, I'm about a day out from finding that out, and, and we're at these national meetings, and I see him, and I'm, Mike, I haven't seen you. How you been? Da da da. We catch up, and he says to me, where do you sit in Moby? Now, Moby Gym is where we'd meet for our, our big meetings, uh, 5,000 people in there, so so where do you sit? Well, I said, oh, he said, I'll find you tomorrow, and we haven't talked, and what's this about? Well, the next morning, he comes down, and there I am sitting. He's got a a newborn child in in his arm, and he's got a check in his hand. And I say, Mike, I can't. Man, I'm single. I'm good. I'm covered. I, I can't take that money. You you got a child and stuff. He said, Andy, man, we're all raised in support. It's not our money. He said, God has told me to give this to you. I need you to take it. Okay. I've never seen him again. But I use that to get stuff I needed to be over in Siberia. He was God's champion. (laughs) He didn't have the resources. He didn't have the net worth to do that. There were people with a whole lot more money, but that's not the way God rolls. He uses the weak to set people like me free for ministry. You know, God raises champions up among his people. That time it was Mike Darling. It, it might be you or it might be me. Well, I couldn't do that. God's a big God. I think we can take a lesson from David. We're faithful when no one's looking. We're trusting God. We're, we're not, we're believing him in hard things, even in little things, that God might do something big through us. Well, you're saying, I mean, I couldn't do that. Yeah, I'm just not that kind of person. Let me go back to the uh, dead battery, if you will. So we get jumped, and and we get the battery charged. And uh, I go right home to our. when we get in town. I drop people off. I say to my younger son, Drew, will you get in the car? Because I'm going over to the Walmart at 84th and Adams to do what? Get a new battery. I don't even dare turn off my car. Because people, I need a change of battery really bad. They changed the battery and voila, it worked. What's my point? Like, I need to change a battery, you and I need to change a heart. And God can do something in our heart that we didn't think possible. But we got to reach this overwhelming point of weakness that, that we're broken and we can't do it. God, will you do work? And man, He specializes in those kind of people. Are you there? Because we talk about God providing a champion, but I want to talk about our ultimate champion. His name is Jesus Christ. And see, what gets in the way between you and Jesus and me and Jesus is our sin. We rebel. We say no. We shake our fist at God. Jesus came 2,000 years ago and lived the life we're supposed to live. Perfect submission to the Father right to the point he died on the cross. He rose again on the third day that you and I could have fullness of life. Here's what 2 Corinthians 5, 21 says. He who knew no sin, that's Jesus. He who knew no sin became sin in our place. We have an ultimate champion. His name's Jesus. He's the one in whom we need to place fullness of our trust. Would you let Jesus be your champion? Then who knows? He might even use you or little old me in the process to meet somebody's need in their time of overwhelming weakness. I got exposed to women's volleyball when I was a staff at Colorado State. I'd go to the football game, and they'd say, hey, with your ticket, you can get in free. And the CSU team was not as good as Nebraska, but they were top 15. And you couldn't get me there. No, no. You know, I was expecting park volleyball. But finally, I said, no, you you need to go. And so finally, okay, for the social interaction I'll go, and I was shocked at how good it was, how exciting it was. And it just sat, spiked, digged. I, I didn't miss many volleyball games after that. Well, I come to town here 20 20 years ago, and hands down, the most successful team at the University of Nebraska has been the women's volleyball team, no question. And I don't know much about volleyball. I understand the basic premise, get the ball on the other person's side of the floor, make them hit it out if they hit it over to you. Um, But, you know, I I think I don't need, when it comes to women's volleyball, I don't need to understand many of the premises, because they got a guy named John Cook, he he's got it figured out. Now, I have started reading and following a little bit. And, you know, Coach Cook, everybody's got an iPad, but not Coach Cook. He's got, he's got a notebook because he's old school. And when they serve, he, he puts a number there. I didn't know what that number is. But that's a zone, people. That's where they're supposed to serve it. That's what I've learned with Coach Cook. And then, I don't know if you knew this, the hardest position to recruit, come from high school to college, libero, Coach Cook says, because the college game is so much faster. And then I heard recently, Nebraska is going to use two servers, two different, uh, two different setters. Sorry. Why, why would you do that? Wouldn't you want consistency? Well, when you got tall people, you want to get your server in, uh, your setter in the back row so you can put those. How many other contingencies are there in volleyball that I have no clue about? But, you know, I'm not concerned as I root for the Huskers. I'm not at all concerned about that. You know why? I figure Coach Cook's got it figured out. You know, he can recruit the players and he can get the system and who do you get and what kind of system do you run and do you run a 6-2 or a 5-1 or where do you survey? Coach got it. And they may not win the national championship but they're going to be really good. They're going to be really competitive every year. Just like he's a champion in volleyball, Jesus is infinitely more a champion in our world. And there's all kind of contingencies. There's all kind of stuff that I don't have figured out, you know, figured out how's this gonna end, how's the luck, how's the war, how's the house, how's the house, how's house How's it like the, 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 Jesus got that all? He's our ultimate champion. We can trust in him, especially in our points of overwhelming weakness. Where do we turn in overwhelming weakness? We turn to Jesus to ride us a champion. Would you pray with me, our father in heaven? We're grateful for Jesus, the provider, the ultimate champion, and the provider of champions for us. Lord, thanks that you choose to use us to move your name and reputation forward. Could we learn from David in the moments when no one's looking, when no one's seeing, we're we're faithful, and you're developing character, and you're developing trust, and you're developing faith. You're raising champions, Lord, that might see your name, your reputation go forward. Jesus, thanks that you who knew no sin became sin in our place, that we could even have this conversation. It's your name we pray, amen.